Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been exploring this theme, bridge builders, and, and we know what a bridge does. It, it, it is something that leads us over a gap that exists between two places, right? You build a bridge so that you can go from one place to another. And when we speak about that idea, when it comes to our Christian lives, the way we live on this earth, the bridges we want to build are the bridges that fill the gap between those of us who fear Jesus, who believe in him, who love him, and those who don't. How can we as God's people bridge that gap between believers and unbelievers? Jesus gives us some help with that today in the parable of the lost son. All right, I have a question for you this morning. There's a, a, there's a high bar set from the first service, just so you know. But I'm interested how many siblings people have that are sitting here this morning. Okay, how many only children do we have? You're the only child in the family. You can raise your hand. It's okay. We have none of those. Wow. How many have one sibling? Okay, quite a few one siblings. Two siblings? How about four or more siblings? Wow. Six or more? Six or more. Eight or more? Okay. You're the winner. You get a free coffee later on. Okay? Good job, Eden. This morning we had someone who had 10 siblings in early service. So I bring that up because if you have brothers and sisters, if you lived with brothers and sisters growing up, you know that there are times that personalities just clash. There's a competitiveness that comes through. Your selfishness might get the better and there are some sibling rivalries that happen from time to time. I bet if you think you can think about your brothers and sisters if you have more than one of those and you can know which one's buttons you could push and which ones pushed your buttons, right? It's pretty easy to remember those sibling rivalries that we were involved in. And, and it's not a mystery on the pages of Scripture either. There's lots of sibling rivalries. It goes all the way back to the very first murder in the Bible where Cain and Abel had a sibling rivalry. And then we see it in Abraham's family with, with Ishmael and Isaac. And, and then in Isaac's family with Jacob and Esau. And then in Jacob's family with Joseph and his brothers, there is one example of sibling rivalry after another. I suppose we could say it's a little bit more subtle in, in Jesus' parable, but he certainly sets up the two sons in the parable to have a bit of a sibling rivalry. And we call this parable the lost son, and, and that's a fine name for it. But, but might I submit to you that it doesn't really cover the full picture of the parable? Some have called it the parable of the lost sons. Because it was more than just one son of the father that needed some guidance, some help. But I think even that doesn't quite capture really the heart of this parable. The heart of this parable is found in the love of the father. Maybe that's the best name for the parable. We just could call it a father's amazing love. And what we see in that amazing love is that in spite of the difficulties that his two sons had, their repentance was a time for rejoicing that the Father capitalized on. And, and that's what Jesus wants us to see today too. When is a time for rejoicing for us as his people in this life? That's the theme we want to take from this story that Jesus tells, this parable of the lost sons. A time for rejoicing, remembering first that we have a loving Father. And then secondly, that it's that love, the love of our Heavenly Father that changes people's hearts. I read the whole parable just a few moments ago. 
I would like to just highlight a few verses as we walk through the sermon, beginning with how Jesus starts the parable, how he sets it up. So listen again with me to the first three verses of Luke 15, uh, verses of this text, 11 to 13. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. You might know, if you know all of Luke chapter 15, that this is one of three lost parables that Jesus tells. In Luke chapter 15, there is the lost, the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go search for the one that is lost, and when he finds it, there's great rejoicing. Then there's the parable of the lost coin. The woman who loses one of her ten coins sweeps the whole house until she finds it and then rejoices when it is found. And then the parable before us today, the parable of the lost son. To to really understand what Jesus is driving home, we have to go back to the very first verses of chapter 15, which tell us why Jesus told these three, three different parables about something lost being found. What happened is this. Jesus was here on earth hanging out with people that others thought he shouldn't hang out with, the tax collectors and the sinners, and there was some grumbling, some muttering from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Those were the words that led Jesus to tell the three lost parables, and those parables are pretty simple, aren't they? It's Jesus' way of reminding us that God cares about every soul. It's a little humbling, isn't it? When we think about who Jesus came to this earth to save and who, while he was on this earth, he spent the most time with. People that we often shun. People that we often think aren't worthy of God's grace. That's who Jesus came to live with. And so his parable drives that point home, not just for the Pharisees, but for us too. Jesus tells the story of two sons, polar opposites, the rebel and the obedient son. I bet if you think back to your own families and the siblings, you you might have had things that you thought about each one of your siblings. Maybe one of your siblings was, or maybe you were, called the black sheep of the family, right? The one that didn't quite fit in with all of the others. The one that did the wrong things all the time, needed a little bit more TLC. Maybe there was the goody two-shoes, right? The one that always did everything just right. We have ways, right, of seeing what these two sons, how opposite they are. The one who does everything right and the other one who can't even wait for his father to pass away before he wants his share of the estate. And so his father gives in. And when he gives in and gives him his share of the estate, he doesn't take very long to move away. And Jesus tells us what he did. That one father who loved both of his sons, had compassion on both of them, was willing to let him go his own way. And he squandered his wealth in wild living, Jesus says. That word squandered in the original Greek language is pretty interesting. It actually means to widely scatter. And it kind of brings a picture to mind that that you see this young man go off to live by himself and he's really literally throwing his money away, throwing it around to have a good time. Maybe he even gathered around him quite a few friends who were willing to let him spend his inheritance on them. He was having a great time. Before we go on, maybe just to pause for a moment here, and I want you to ask yourself a question as we walk through the rest of the parable. Which son? 
Which son do you more identify with? The younger son or the older son? Hold on to that thought and let it kind of sit there as we go through the rest of the parable because we, we know what's going to happen, right? Jesus wouldn't even have had to fill in the gaps because money lasts only so long. The inheritance and squandering it in wild living isn't going to last forever and so that's exactly what happens. The money runs out on him and so do his friends and he's left with nothing and then there's a famine in the land and the only thing he can think to do is hire himself out to a pig farmer. And even then, he can't get anything to eat. So the idea pops in his head. There's something better for me if I just go back home. And Jesus tells us what happens when the young man, as the young man is approaching home. Luke chapter 15 verse 20 says this, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Rock bottom. That's what the young man had to hit before he realized that something wasn't right in his life. And so he made a plan. The whole plan was to make this confession to his heavenly father, to his father at home, that he wasn't worthy of his love anymore, that, that he would just as soon be a servant and he would be happy to be even that because at least he would have something to eat. And as he sets off for home, something amazing happens. Jesus just says it this way, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Do we get the idea that the father is waiting? That he's watching? Maybe every day, just waiting for the day that the son is going to come back, hoping that today is going to be the day because he sees him while he's still a long way off and he runs to him. Filled with compassion, a heart for his son, he knows what he's done. Maybe not the details of everything that he had done as he squandered his wealth, but he knew it wasn't good. And there's a heart filled with forgiveness. It wasn't just words that the father said. He demonstrated his love. He gives him a new robe, new sandals, puts a ring on his finger. It's time to throw a big celebration because the son that was lost is found and it's a time for rejoicing. That's the lasting forgiveness that God wants to assure you that you have. The lasting forgiveness that means every sin is paid for. It's why he sent Jesus to this life, to this earth, to take our place, to suffer for us, to die for us, to rise again so that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have hope. That's why it's a time for rejoicing when the sun comes home. That's why there's rejoicing in heaven over every sinner who repents because God wants you to be assured that like the sun, though you aren't worthy of his love, though I'm not worthy of his love, God calls us his sons and daughters. That's a beautiful thing. God meets us, runs out to meet us, wraps his arms around us with his love and compassion and says, you're forgiven. In my own son that I sent for you, you are now my sons and daughters. We can kind of relate to the young son, can't we? There are things that have happened in, in all of our lives that we can look back on with regret. We know the people that we've hurt in our lives. We, we know the things that we have done, the foolish decisions that we've made. Isn't it comforting to know we have a heavenly father who waits for us with open arms, who wants to us to come to him, who promises to forgive all of our sins in Jesus? Yeah, it's great to identify with the young son. 
Maybe you know this story by Ernest Hemingway. It's called The Capital of the World. It's a famous short story. And, and Hemingway wrote about a young man named Paco. Paco had sinned against his father and he ran away from home in shame and, and embarrassment. And his father began looking for him. All over Spain, he tried to find his son and he couldn't. In desperation, he finally decided he had nothing left but to take out an ad in the local newspaper, the Madrid newspaper. And in the ad, he simply said this, Dear Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, Tuesday noon. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. He prayed. He hoped that that would be the one thing that his lost son would see and he would come meet him at that hotel and they would once again be father and son. Imagine his surprise when he showed up at Hotel Montana that Tuesday at noon to find a force, a security force, keeping 800 young men named Paco in check because they were all there looking for forgiveness from their fathers. That's us, isn't it? The 800 Pacos, the younger son in the story, people who, if we look at our lives, are filled with regrets, with knowledge that we have not measured up to God's holy demands, but rejoicing with our Heavenly Father that he welcomes us with open arms to come to him, to be embraced by him and the love that he has for us in Jesus. We should relate to the younger son because that grace and compassion and mercy that, God, that the Heavenly Father has for us is very much the same as the father in the story. Not everybody was rejoicing in the story. A couple last verses here, Luke chapter 15, verses 28 to 30. Jesus tells us about the older brother. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The older brother doesn't even want to go in to the celebration. He is upset, angry even, that his father would treat his long-lost brother so well. And he expresses his frustration to his father. I've done everything right. And yet, what about me? What, what's in it for me is really what he's saying. What's amazing to me is the father's love that was demonstrated to the younger son is demonstrated in a different way to the older son. He doesn't yell. He doesn't abandon him. He simply goes out and pleads with him too. We had to celebrate, he says. We had to celebrate and be glad. You see, the father knew the only thing that was going to change the heart of the older brother was the same love that he had demonstrated to the younger one. That older son needed to know the father's love as well. He needed to know that everything that he had Everything the father had was his. What a beautiful expression that the father gives to demonstrate his compassion for the son. In effect, the father is asking the boy, why? Why don't you want to celebrate and be glad that your brother was lost and is found? And that question hits close to home for us too, doesn't it? You see, the change that happens in our hearts is something should help us recognize the need of others. It's good to take an attitude check. Maybe wonder, 
Are we a little bit more like the older brother than we would like to be? Is there a little Pharisee that Jesus is speaking these words to in all of us? Do we look at other people and pass judgment on them and wonder if maybe they're worthy of building a bridge to with the love of Jesus? We do, don't we? Without even knowing it, without even realizing it, we want people who think like us and look like us and act like us to be around us, but then maybe the others can just stay away. It's hard to remember. It's hard to remember sometimes that the love of Jesus is for all people. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't finish the parable. He never tells us what the, old, the older brother does. But maybe that's Jesus as the master teacher, inviting us to finish the chapter in our own lives, to say, how is my attitude? How am I thinking about other people? Do I think that I'm better than others, that somehow I'm more worthy than God's grace than they are? Or do I want to build bridges to all people so that they too can know the love of Jesus? And that same love of the Heavenly Father that covered the younger son, that same love covers you and me when we pass judgment on others too. That's why I love these verses from John, 1 John chapter 2 where he wrote this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's what Jesus has given us. Made us at one with God, forgiven. And it's that same sacrifice of Jesus that makes that an invitation to all people. Something for which, to which, we can, which we can use to build bridges. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, our Heavenly Father showed his love for us by sending Jesus to take our place. Paul wrote it this way in his letter to the Romans. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Number two, the Father's love is displayed when there is rejoicing in heaven for every sinner. We read it just before in Zephaniah chapter 3 where it says this, The Lord is with you. The mighty Lord is at your side. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will quiet you with his love. He delights in you. Aren't those beautiful words that Zephaniah shares? And finally, number three, we want to build bridges by finding joy in bringing Jesus to all people. Famous verse in the Bible in John 3.16 covers it so well. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, that's anyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I asked you about your siblings at the start of the service. Now I'm going to ask you about your mothers. Maybe some of you shared an experience with me a time or two where my mother would say something like this, just wait till your father gets home. If you had that experience, you maybe know a little bit that there's a little bit of fear and trepidation. The seconds and the minutes seem to tick by rather slowly as you wait for dad to come home. But then there was some surprise from time to time when dad would sit down and lovingly correct and encourage, remind me that I was forgiven, remind me that there, as a part of the family, were things that were expected of me. A surprising way to be dealt with after the fear that I had of him coming home. That's Jesus' parable. It's the parable of two sons who knew that they could come home 
to their father, that he was a father to come home to, that he was a father that rejoices over every sinner that repents and a father who wants us to rejoice in the exact same way and build bridges to others. You see, Jesus' parable isn't a parable about just wait till your father comes home. It's a parable that reminds us that we can't wait to be home with our heavenly father. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.